0: What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to Off The Chain, simply the best podcast in crypto. Let's kick this thing off. Brent Johnson is the CEO of Santiago Capital and the originator of the dollar milkshake theory. In this conversation, Brent explains the dollar milkshake theory, what impact the strong dollar will have on other assets, why comparisons of currency strength are all relative, how gold and Bitcoin should perform moving forward, and what would change Brent's mind about a strong dollar outlook. I really enjoyed this conversation and I learned a ton from Brent. Before we get into the episode though, I wanna quickly talk about our three sponsors. The first is crypto.com. They're an all-in-one platform that allows you to buy, sell, store, earn, loan, and invest crypto all from one place. You can join over 1 million users on their mobile app at crypto.com app. Download it and you can earn $50 with my code POMP2020 or use the link in the description. They've got ma- mobile payments that are now available for their Visa card in the United States. You can pay in a fast, easy, and secure way with Apple, Google, Samsung Pay, and it will work with most devices used every day and Card details are never stored on your device. Head on over to crypto.com and check them out. Next is TaxBit. TaxBit helps you pay your crypto taxes. The IRS recently released new tax forms and new guidance. So use TaxBit to automate your cryptocurrency taxes, enabling you to effortlessly track, calculate, and report your transactions. Easily connect your exchanges to securely sync your transactions and run them through TaxBit's tax engine. You can generate a completed tax form with a single click. If a company founded by tax attorneys and CPAs, TaxBit is the most trusted cryptocurrency tax solution. Get 10% off your tax plan today with a free trial by going to taxbit.com slash invite slash pomp. Again, taxbit.com slash invite slash pomp. Go check them out, get your taxes paid, and get a little money off at taxbit.com slash invite slash pomp. Now, our third sponsor is Ledger. They're awesome. They've got a ton of solutions to help you store and custody your crypto. They're going to play an audio ad that they've already pre-recorded, and then we'll get into the episode with Brent. I hope you guys enjoy it and look forward to this episode.
1: Digital assets custody can be quite difficult to secure and hard to scale. Firms are often left with a difficult decision, having to choose between security or liquidity. At Ledger, we're obsessed that our clients' businesses succeed.
0: That is why we decided to create a digital assets platform that would enable financial institutions and crypto firms to manage their funds without compromising on security
1: and liquidity. Firms like Uphold, Bitstamp, Crypto.com, Index, and Dunamu are already using Ledger Vault to operate their business at scale while maintaining the highest standards of security to protect their clients' funds. Visit Ledger.com Vault to learn more. Control, scalability, agility, because security is not enough. Anthony
0: Pompliano is a partner at Morgan Creek Digital. Many of you uh, probably do not know Brent, um, and uh, it's unfortunate because he has been uh, calling a lot of what's playing out now in the markets for uh, for quite a while now. Um, so, thanks so much for jumping on and, uh, and recording this.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to talking to you. It's going to be fun. For sure. So, let's just get
0: started. Uh, maybe let's go through your background real quick so people understand the perspective that you're coming at this with, and then we'll jump into
1: uh, the dollar milkshake theory. Sure. So, I've got a firm called Santiago Capital. Which, long story short, it's a wealth management firm. I work with uh, a little over a dozen individuals and families, helping them design, and and, and, then you know implement and and manage their investment portfolios. And you know it's kind of comprehensive. We customize it to everybody, so it's kind of a high level uh, of service. in addition to that, I run a private fund, which is focused on a number of knock-on effects uh, based on a theory that I have where the dollar is going to get stronger over the next couple of years. And uh, that that fund plays as a portion of my client's overall portfolio. So uh, I have uh, been in uh, the wealth management business for a little over 20 years. Uh, started with a firm called Donaldson Lufkin & Genret in New York City in 99, uh, moved with them to San Francisco in 2000 was with Credit Suisse for 10 years through the global financial crisis, at which point uh, I had a, let's just call it a disagreement with my superiors on whether I was a fiduciary for my clients or whether I was a salesman for Credit Suisse. And uh, ultimately I decided that wasn't the right place for me. And uh, to be honest, I'm not sure if they were too upset to see me go um but uh you know i wanted to to continue in the business and i wanted to do it uh, at an independent platform where i felt i could do the right thing for clients and it wasn't so much commission based and it wasn't a transaction based business and it wasn't uh you know it, or i i could actually look out for the best of my clients as opposed to looking out for the best of my firm so to speak or at least align those uh, get, get those incentives aligned a little bit better so I joined a friend of mine he had a firm called Baker Avenue Asset Management I joined there a few years later I set up Santiago Capital which was used to do some alternative investing um some precious metals investing I've since transitioned my entire business under Santiago Capital. I still have an affiliation with Baker Avenue. Um, been great partners for me, and uh, still sit with them and talk with them every day, except for when we're in quarantine. Um, but that's kind of my evolution in the business. I've really kind of focused on the big picture. I look at macro trends. I try to figure out what's going to happen in you know, asset class to asset class and country to country, um, currency to currency, as opposed to trying to, you know, I I don't get too involved in the balance sheets of uh, individual companies uh, that we invest in. You know, I have some colleagues who do that. So I focus on the big picture and try, if I figure if I can get the big picture, right, the, the little picture will hopefully take care of itself.
0: Got it. And so where did the name Santiago Capital come from?
1: Well, that's a little bit, uh, it's a good question. I always like to hear how other people come up with their names as well. So I, several years ago, before I started on Wall Street, I did this uh, trip across Spain called the Camino de Santiago, which is an ancient pilgrimage uh, route, Christian pilgrimage route. So I walked 500 miles across Spain and it was just a fantastic experience. And then combine that with the the lead character in my two favorite books his name is named Santiago. So when I was coming up with the the you know trying to figure out what I was going to call my company, it just uh, I kept coming back to that and I kept trying to think of other ones and I just kept coming back to Santiago. And I finally just said, you know, don't 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 fight it. Just embrace it. So that's that, that's where we're at. That's how the best names come together. Um, so, h- help me yeah.
0: understand uh, the dollar milkshake theory because you, you've been um, kind of yeah. explaining this and pushing this for quite a while. We've seen it, you know, really play out yeah. uh, how you called it. But what exactly is that dollar milkshake theory?
1: Well, so first of all, I'll say I appreciate you saying that I've called it right. I don't know if I've called it. Completely right, but it's on the right track. Somebody asked me the other day um, where they thought I was at, you know, using a football analogy. And I said, I thought I was just over midfield, maybe around the 40 or 45. You know, it's it's heading in the right direction. So far, it's playing out the way we thought it would play out. Uh, but there is, this, is, this is a big game and it's a long game. And I, you know, I I don't have any illusions that it's going to be easy from here on out. Uh, it's probably going to be pretty challenging, but I, I think the, the opportunities are enormous. Um, essentially, without I'll start at a very big picture level and then I'll try to get more detailed on the dollar milkshake theory. But essentially what it is, is is I think that we're going to go through the biggest short squeeze in history. And what I mean by that is I think the U.S. dollar um, is going to get squeezed much, much higher. And it's going to get squeezed much, much higher because despite the fact that many people don't like it, um, would prefer to have an alternative that they just don't. And the rest of the world, well, the U.S. and the rest of the world has taken out an incredible amount of U.S. dollar debt. That debt either gets paid off, serviced, or defaulted on. And the only way that that isn't extremely dollar positive is if it gets paid off. I don't see how it can get paid off. There's just not enough dollars to go around. But the demand just to continue to service it continues to put a bid under the dollar. And if it gets defaulted on, defaults. While it may decrease demand, it actually destroys money. And what I mean by that is in a debt-based monetary system where money gets loaned into existence, a default actually uh, makes money disappear. (laughs) And it starts a chain reaction all the way back to the collateral, which was the original basis of which everything was loaned into existence. So even if you have defaults where demand falls, supply falls even faster. So whether people continue using the dollar and are able to service it, I think that puts a bid under it. Or if they start defaulting on it because they can't pay it or don't want to pay it, we get a supply shock and the dollar goes higher. I can't figure out a scenario. Actually, I can figure out a couple s- potential scenarios where it would go lower, but I just think those are very low-level probabilities. And because I'm so adamant about it or because I'm so convinced of it, that's probably why I've been as uh that's why I've been pounding the table on it as much as I have. Not so much because I want to be right, I mean, don't get me wrong, I want to be right you know i'm 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 in this to make money i'd be clear that's my job. My job is to make money. I want to be right, and I want to make money. but one of the reasons, but if I just wanted to make money, I'd just be quiet and you know not say anything but one of the reasons i'm as vocal as I am about it is I think it's one of the biggest problems existing today, and I actually want to help people. I want to help people understand what's happening so that they can uh, uh, understand how maybe they can position their purpose, per their self as we go through this. And even if they don't believe in it, and even if they don't agree with it, at least if parts of it become true, they can kind of understand why it's happening. Um, and so that's, that's kind of the, that's kind of the, that's kind of the genesis of the idea. It's, it's, it's why I think it's such an important idea and it's why I've been so vocal about it.
0: Got it, and I've heard you describe kind of the actual milkshake component of it as uh, you know other countries injecting liquidity um, and, and kind of making the milkshake, yeah. but the U.S. rather than having the ability yeah. to inject the liquidity, having a straw. Maybe you kind of covered that because I think it's a really good way of articulating um, you know how yeah. this plays out.
1: Yeah, so I'm happy to answer that, and, and I'll say it's it's really interesting that you asked this at this point because over the last call it. Well, especially over the last couple of months and definitely over the last year, I've been accused of changing my story. Um, and It's funny because on one hand, I get accused of changing my story. And then on the other hand, I get accused of being so stubborn and never being open to new ideas. So it's, it's, it's a little bit of a mixture there. But when this initially started a couple years ago, I, I initially, I, I should tell you, I used to run a gold fund. And uh, and I don't have time to go through the whole story of, of why I used to run it and why I no longer run it. But essentially, I ended up shutting it down because I was not able to raise enough capital to make the fund structure through which I was running it um, economically viable. It was too expensive for clients. And I didn't think it, it was the appropriate thing to do. So we shut it down. We still own gold for clients, but we still don't own it in the structure anymore. And part of the reasons I shut it down is I didn't think or I did a big, big study on the dollar and gold because i was trying to figure out why was gold staying in this bear market i most of my 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 thoughts were that gold should be going higher and the dollar should be going lower and it just wasn't and i fought it for a long time i was very stubborn and finally i I just said to myself i'm something i'm missing here i i got to figure this out and so i kind of did this big deep dive on my thesis and to be honest, I didn't like the answer I came up with because the answer I came up with was that the dollar was gonna go a lot higher. And typically in the gold world, one of the core tenets of being a gold investor is you think the dollar is going to zero. Um, and so, w- but what, what was also interesting is the more I studied it, the more I became convinced that the dollar would go higher, but I also thought the gold would go higher with it. I thought there might be an interim period where the dollar would rise, gold would fall, but I became more convinced than ever that we'd get to a period where they would rise together. Um and so as I started doing all this this work on the dollar and why I thought the dollar was going to go get get higher um the more I got into it the more it became clear to me. And that's when the the milkshake uh, analogy came up because there's this famous movie called There Will Be Blood. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's about this oil baron, uh, this really cruel oil baron, and he's just ruthless. I mean, he'll just do anything to get one up on his competitors. And kind of at the end of the movie, he's uh, talking to one of his competitors and his competitor says, you know, I'm not going to sell my oil to you. And he says, well, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to stick, I'm going to stick a straw, you know, across your fence down into your ground, and I'm going to suck it all up, you know, So whether you give it to me or not, I'm going to drink your milkshake is essentially what he says. And the more I started studying the the global monetary system and where I thought capital flows would go over the next couple of years, the more I became convinced that due to a number of factors, the US was going to suck that capital into the United States. So it didn't matter where that capital originated. It could be on my side of the fence or the other side of the fence. All I got to do is stick a straw down in there to all that liquidity and suck it up. And so what i how that related to the dollar milkshake theory that i was talking about in, in in my world as opposed to this this movie was that over the last 10 years since the global financial crisis we all know that the fed came out and did qe and these bailouts and they pumped the economy full of uh liquidity right but it wasn't solely a U.S. phenomena. You know, the Bank of England did it, the ECB did it, the BOJ did it, the Chinese did it, the Australia, every Canada, uh, you know, built out their housing market. So the whole world got behind this uh, injection of liquidity, and for the first five years, we all did it in unison, uh, from 2009 to 2014 or 15, everybody was injecting. It was a coordinated monetary policy, but in 2015 the U.S. stopped and the U.S. started raising interest rates. Um, And when they raised it the first time, I was pretty skeptical. But when they raised it the first time and the market didn't crash, because a lot of people thought as soon as they raised interest rates, the market was going to crash. And I was probably initially, maybe not completely on board with that, but I would not have been surprised if that happened. But when it didn't happen, that's when I really kind of started, when I said I did this to kind of deep dive. And, and what I decided was that there actually was one scenario under which we could continue to raise rates, um, even though the rest of the world wasn't. And so I thought that over the next couple of years that we would get rate hikes. Um, and so that's when I started talking about as we as ra- as we as we take our syringe away and we no longer inject liquidity, we stick a straw down in there. And it was as we raise interest rates, that pulls capital in the United States. Now, that was the... The analogy I used most, most because that was the predominant reason that I thought capital would flow into the U.S. was interest rates. But that's not the only reason. There's many reasons that I thought capital would flow into, into the United States. One was, um, you know, Trump, Trump was a big part of this. Trump did a lot of deregulation, made it more attractive for capital to come in um he did a number of uh, tax deals which made it an attractive place for capital uh, the fact that we were growing faster uh, than the rest of the world or in many other places of the world you know look at the especially in silicon valley it made it a very attractive place for capital to flow um and i just you know the, f- and because it's the world reserve currency people have to use the dollar uh, for 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 transactions it places kind of a natural bid under the dollar if you're going to hold reserves and you can hold them in you, it makes sense to hold it in the dollar. Well, then why not also hold, you know, Treasury bonds or U.S. real estate or U.S. asset pri- or stocks? So for all those reasons, I thought that the U.S. would suck that capital into the United States. Um, now, in 2000, was it 18? I'm going to get my years messed up here a little bit. Maybe it was 19. But anyway, I thought with the, so we got nine interest rate hikes. Most people didn't think we would get one or two, and um, but we got nine of them. And you know, the whole way up, people were saying, it's gonna crash the economy, it's gonna crash the economy. Well, it finally did. And I, I actually thought that we would get a couple more interest rate hikes than we did, but I was wrong. You know, it, it, we, we didn't get those last two or three that I thought we would get. Um, and I, and I, I kind of admitted it fairly quickly. I said, you know what? I was wrong, they're, they're, they're changing their tune. You know, Powell kind of did a 180, um, stopped the quantitative tightening. But even though they stopped the quantitative tightening and they actually started lowering interest rates, it didn't mean that we were not still an attractive place for all those other reasons that I mentioned. Um, And I kind of got to a place, I I have this channel of the S&P 500 that I've been following for well, since 2009, really. And it, and, it, and it's usually kind of bounced around in that channel, but went higher. And we got to the very top of that channel and actually peaked our head out of the top of the channel a little bit. And I kind of thought we'd kind of overdone it. I thought we would get a pullback. Now, I didn't think we would get this big of a pullback. I thought we might get a 10% pullback, 15% pullback. I wasn't quite expecting a 25 or 30% pullback, but here we are. Um, and now everybody's printing. The whole world is printing. We're printing, but this, and this and then people will say to me, well, isn't this going to kill the dollar? Well, if we were act, again, if we were acting in a vacuum, it absolutely would. But this is also very similar to 2009 when we announced QE one and two and three back in you know, 10 years ago, a number of institutions and people around the world thought that the United States dollar would fall as a result of that. If you think the dollar is gonna fall, one of the smart things to do is you take debt out in that currency and as it gets inflated away, you pay it back at a lower price later on. Well, the rest of the world borrowed $13 trillion in US dollars. Um, I think it was around four or 5 trillion in 2008 and now it's another 10 trillion since then, nine, nine or 10 trillion since then. But the problem is, is that the dollar didn't get weaker over that time. The dollar actually got stronger over that time. And so now we're back in the same situation. We owe a lot of debt, but the rest of the world owes $13 trillion of a currency that they can't print. And we're in a situation where asset prices are falling. And it's, it's, when, when we talked about asset prices falling, it makes money disappear because when money's loaned into existence and you have defaults, money gets uh, destroyed. So now you still have this high level of debts that need to be paid off, but the supply of dollars is shrinking. It's deflation. Right, um, and so we're going through a massive deleveraging event right now, and so now all the central banks of the world again are coming out and printing like crazy. And listen, the the Fed is printing like a madman. I'm not denying it, but the ECB is too, the Bank of Canada is too, China is too, Australia is too, Brazil is too. Everybody. So now we're back to this coordinated effect again, right? Everybody's providing liquidity. I just happen to believe that it doesn't really matter where that liquidity gets injected. Whoever has the straw gets to suck up that liquidity. Now, on a relative basis, despite the fact that we've cut rates all the way down, they're still basically the highest in the world, You know, other than maybe China. And again, I don't think people are racing to put money into China right now. I don't think the, you know, the Russian ruble is going to become the world reserve currency anytime soon, right? So while our rates are certainly not as high as they were two years ago, on a relative basis, they still look uh, pretty good, but all those other factors are still attractive for capital to come into the United States. And I think the fact that we are still the world reserve currency combined with those other factors will draw capital into the United States over the next couple of years. And I think drawing in that capital will keep the dollar stronger than other fiat currencies, despite that we're printing so much of it. So I know I kind of rambled for a long time right there, but I hope that makes sense.
0: Yeah, there's two key pieces that I really want to kind of touch on. The first is uh, this idea that uh, it's all a relative argument, right? So even if rates go down, if they're yes. still the highest rates, you still get the straw. Uh, same thing goes on the printing right. side. Even if you're printing money, if you're uh, kind of in a more advantageous position than everyone else, you still get the straw, right? And so there's kind of uh, almost That's like exactly. there's one straw everyone else has to inject liquidity. And then whoever has that straw gets all of the flows. Um, and so your argument basically is right. a relative basis, the US still has that straw. But then the second piece of this, right. uh, which I think is really interesting, and I, I don't think I understood this before you just mentioned it, is it's not binary. The US can have the straw and still be injecting liquidity at the same time, right? We can be putting liquidity yeah. into the system by printing right. money, et cetera, but we can also be sucking the liquidity from everywhere else into yeah. the dollar. And that appears what's happening right now, correct?
1: That, that that's my argument. And I think that's what will happen over the next two or three years. We're going to mix our own milkshake, but we're also going to drink everybody else's.
0: Okay. And so help me understand, what is the impact kind of forward looking here? If that theory holds true, and so far, it seems to be that's what's happening in this liquidity crisis and the dollar strengthening, et cetera. What's the impact on equities and commodities uh, and then even other yeah. foreign currencies? Do we just see all, the, everything continue yeah. to bleed out and the dollar strengthen against it or something else happen?
1: Well, let me let me qualify this by saying that this is not going to happen in a straight line. This is nothing happens in a straight line. There's going to be fits and starts and there's going to be ups and there's going to be pullbacks. But in general, over the next couple of years, what I think will happen is I I don't know if we found the bottom in equities yet or not. I I, I own equities. I'm long equities. Uh, I think two or three years from now, equities will be much higher than they are right now. Not because things are good in the world and not because things are good in the US, but because they're bad. And we will be a recipient of flows uh, as a relative, not an absolute, but as a relative safe haven. So I think two or three years from now, due to all the money printing and due to the effects of that and the effects of sucking in the money printing from around the world will push U.S. asset prices higher. I think it will push U.S. stocks higher. I think it will allow us to fund our budget deficit, even though you know, I think the rest of the world is going to have budget deficits as well. Um, but I think we will be able to fund our budget deficit easier than the rest of the world will be able to fund theirs. Again, it doesn't mean that it's going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that it's going to be easy, but I think that will allow us to happen. And as, as that happens, I think that keeps a bid under the dollar. I think the dollar goes higher. And I think it continues to put incredible pressure on the rest of the world because um, they have this dollar debt that they have to service and, you know, global commerce takes place in dollars. So, you know, I've used this example before, but if there's a Peruvian gold mine that's selling gold to China, that and it's financed by a bank, bank in Japan, the invoices back and forth between the three are probably in dollars. You know, it, that, that's just what... Um, you know, or copper or whatever it is, you know, when wheat gets sent to China, these all take place in dollars because that's the global reserve currency. Um, So whether or not countries like the dollar, it doesn't really matter (laughs) until there's a viable opportunity. Otherwise, that can be used on a global scale. Um, you know, I think the dollar gets a bit. Now, it doesn't mean that things like Bitcoin won't go up. It doesn't mean that gold won't go higher. Um, maybe there's some uh, other altcoins or stable coins, or you know, maybe uh, you know, countries start to issue digital coins of their own that, that do well. But until something can replace the global reserve system or the, the global reserve currency system, and there's another country that can enforce its use, the dollar is still going to be the predominant currency. And so what I, it becomes this big, vicious circle, where as the dollar gets a bid and US asset prices come up, I think we get those flows because we become more attractive. That flow of liquidity, that means that the rest of the world is de- being denied liquidity. So they continue to have uh, pressure on them. But it could also be that we start to... Because now we've got supply shortages, whether it's food or mines shut down and minerals and steel and other commodities aren't as in abundance, you know but the US still needs them. Maybe there are some inflationary effects and so, but that's not necessarily good for emerging markets either because now maybe their input costs are going up or they're you know typically in emerging markets or less developed economies food is more expensive uh, more or a bigger percent of their overall budget. And as food prices start to rise, their you know their cost of living goes up, but they're in a depressed economy, so their revenues so they're getting squeezed from both sides. And as as they get squeezed, I think that liquidity gets squeezed out of those countries, and it flows back to and again it creates this vicious cycle, and it, it ends really badly for everybody, including the United States. But I think uh, I think before that happens, we get this big short squeeze in the dollar. And I was talking to somebody else, and I said. Anybody who's ever seen a short squeeze will never, or have been involved in a short squeeze will never forget it. Because you just cannot believe how high the price of that thing goes. It's just amazing. And then you never forget the other side of it because it just crashes afterwards as well. Like short squeezes don't go from like Tesla. It, it went from 400 to 1,000 and now it's back at 400. It doesn't go from 400 to 4,000 and stay at 4,000. That never happens. You get the big you know, ramp up and then you get the crash. And I kind of think that same thing will happen with the dollar. I I think we're going to get this big short squeeze on the dollar over the next couple of years. It's going to go higher than anybody believes possible. It's going to create chaos everywhere. Eventually the world will come together. They will do something. I don't know if they have another Plaza Accord or it's written down or it's devalued or you know the world says you know we we're, gold's now at $7,000 because of all the chaos that it's caused and you know I don't know how they're going to do it but eventually this will all reverse and then the dollar will have a big slide the US will lose all the capital flows the rest of the world will start to receive the capital flows and they will inflate while we deflate so i i kind of see it like a teeter-totter I think, I think over the next couple of years, we'll be going down while they're, or we'll be going up while they're going down and then it'll all flip and it'll go back the other way. And that's a very simplistic way of saying it, but that's kind of how I see it playing out.
0: Got it. So that makes a lot of sense. Now, one of the things that uh, it makes me immediately think of, uh, so right now what we're seeing in this liquidity crisis is everyone is selling any asset they possibly can into a liquid market to get dollars, right? We're seeing the dollar strengthen. uh, You're seeing equities, commodities, Bitcoin, everything's going down. There is a number of people who would argue, and and I'm actually probably one of them that would say, in order for those asset prices to stabilize and eventually recover, you need to have some weakening of the dollar at some point. You've got yeah, um, yeah. a pretty interesting theory around the dollar itself can strengthen, and so could uh, the asset price of, say, gold or, or other assets at the same yeah. time. Maybe uh, yeah. help me unpack kind of the nuance there between what is more theoretical, yeah. I think, and you know weakening the dollar, asset prices recovering versus maybe they all could go up at the same time.
1: Yeah, so th- there's a couple parts to this, and this is the part where I probably get challenged on the most. Um, there's a you know there's a lot of people who think the dollar is going to go lower. There's, you know, I think there's a lot more people that think it's going to go lower than higher. But you know, you could argue that there's a lot of people that think it's going to go higher. But most of the people that think the dollar is going to go higher also thinks it's going to lead to just a, a depression in the United States as well. Um, and that's where I kind of disagree. And and I think that we're going to get into a situation. And well, listen, we're not there yet. But I think we're going to get into a situation where U.S. asset prices rise, um, the U.S. dollar rises perhaps even I'm um, going people are going to think I'm crazy interest rates might rise a little bit <laughs> um, um, and we will have some inflationary effects in the United States even though the dollar is getting higher a lot of people equate the dollar losing value with inflation and of course that makes sense but if but if but if the dollar is going higher because capital is flowing in and the capital is leading to higher asset prices you can get some inflationary effects that way too Maybe it doesn't happen as often. Maybe that's not the traditional way that people think about it, but it it can happen. And so if we start to, if if that starts to happen and we start to get some inflationary effects in the United States, and this, I'm not talking tomorrow, (laughs) a year from now, 18 months from now, two years from now, right? And now, and it's also at the same time causing chaos overseas or in less developed markets or wherever it is. And people start, you know, they're buying dollars as a flight to safe haven, but they're not going to put all their money in dollars in the same way that I talk to people in the gold world and they say, well, people are going to go to gold. Well, of course, they're going to go to gold, but they're not going to put all their money in gold. right? They're also not going to put all their money in dollars. They might put a lot of it, but they'll put some in Bitcoin. They'll put some in gold. They'll put some in some other safe haven trades. And I think we'll get to a point where safe haven trades rise together. Um, I don't think that's happening right now because right now we're just in the liquidation phase. Just like you said, just get me dollars because you might want yeah. Bitcoin. You might want gold. You might want your Rolex watch, but what you need is dollars, right? And so it, the, the point I always try to make to people is it's, it's not about what people want. It's what they need. You know, in, in, when you do go down the, the 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 pecking order, you start with what you need, then you start with what you'd like to have, then you have your dreams and your hopes, and you know. But you start with your needs, right? And and thing is, you know, I would love to see a world where where gold was a bigger part of the financial system, and you know, governments were uh, had some fiscal handcuffs on them, and we went to more of a true store of value where you could measure. Uh, you know, with with a fixed yardstick, how you were doing as opposed to, you know, this crazy Rube Goldberg machine that we've built. But as much as I would like that, that's not reality. Like the reality is, is we have central banks who print money and we have Keynesian economics. Now, I think eventually we'll get to a place where we don't, but right now we do. And I think right, you know, as people try to escape the system, they'll go to safe havens, you know, alternative forms of money, whether it's digital currencies or whether it's Bitcoin, whether it's uh, ripple, whether it's gold, whether it's diamonds, whether it's, you know, seashells, I don't know, (laughs) but I think they will go to other things, but the dollar, I think until there's a viable alternative, I think the dollar is going to get the majority of those flows. So I think we'll get into a situation where the dollar's rising, gold's rising, Bitcoin will probably be rising or some form of, you know, digital currency will be rising. Um, and then, you know, it's possible that we'll get into a situation where they all rise together and then the dollar falls off and that's when, we'll, and that's when gold really goes through the moon or that's when Bitcoin really goes higher. Um, but I, I think right now we're still in the liquidation phase. I'm not convinced the liquidation phase is over. We're, I think we're getting close, but I'm not sure that we're there yet. Um, but I think, you know, I'm, I'm not ready to buy commodities yet. Even if we're getting close to the bottom of the liquidation phase in equities, I'm not sure we're to the bottom of the liquidation phase in commodities. And that includes gold. Uh, Again, I think everybody should own gold. I think everybody should have some Bitcoin. I'm just not convinced they're going to pay off yet.
0: Yeah, Yeah, it's really interesting to hear kind of this idea that um, a safe haven trade, uh, kind of you you almost build a basket and you've got Bitcoin, you've got gold, and and you also have dollars in there, right? And so when you look at it as these are all safe havens, um, that's kind of one way, okay, you could see how they could rise together. The other thing that's really interesting is if you look at gold and Bitcoin um, and and kind of these alternative currencies, if you will, uh, the one thing if I'm in another country outside the United States uh, where dollar is not the uh, dominant currency, Currency. Obviously, yes, I may want dollars, but dollars are actually uh, hard to get at times and can be dangerous to get. And so, one of the yeah. things that you know I've ta- uh, right. talked about a lot and thought through a lot is it actually may be more accessible to get gold or to get Bitcoin or to get some sort of alternative currency yeah. that fits within that safe haven basket. Um, and so, you know, going back to kind of the what do people want? You know, well, if you're in Venezuela, you probably want dollars. Actually, I know you want dollars, right? That is the most kind of secure, yeah. stable, right. safe thing that you can be in. It's just really, really hard to get dollars. So you have to look at other things. Yeah. And it's kind of like, what do right. you need versus what do you want?
1: No, absolutely. And, and you know, I, I think the people that I probably debate the most with on my strong dollar theory are people from the gold world. And, and I think part of that reason is that, uh, well, number one, I, I hope that I've been a good advocate for gold. Um, I, th- I think I've done a good job of explaining to people why they should own gold in their portfolio. Um, I think it's disappointing to some people in the gold world for me to then come out and say the dollar is going to get stronger as well because it kind of goes against everything that many people in the gold world believe in, right? Um, But I kind of also think it's a really silly argument um, because there's no reason you can't own both, right? Um, you know, I'm, pr- again, I'm pretty vocal. I know I'm pretty vocal. Part of the reason I'm very vocal is I actually want to try to help people understand what's actually going on in the real world, not the world that they want to exist, but the one that actually does exist. And, you know, in, in maybe in some kind of a video game, you had to choose between the two, you know, then you have to choose between dollars and gold, but you know, the real world that we live in, you can actually own both. You don't have to choose um you know and especially if you're not a US resident or, or somebody who's not denominated in dollars by all means if i wasn't a us dollar investor if i wasn't a canadian dollar investor or an australian dollar investor or yuan or yen or whatever if i was denominated in some other currency i'd probably be pounding the table to buy gold as well i just happen to be a us dollar investor in, in, in an environment where i think the us dollar is going to get a short squeeze right and so while that won't necessarily Kill gold, I think it's at least a headwind to gold. Now that doesn't mean you shouldn't own more than one thing in your uh, safe haven basket. There's no reason you can't have two or three insurance policies. In fact, you should have two or three insurance policies, right uh, so I, so 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 the people when I the people that come at me really hard and say you shouldn't have dollars, you should just have gold I, again, I, I just think it's a silly argument. I'm happy to have the argument just because I like to argue, but I think it's silly.
0: No, that makes sense. And then maybe let's talk a little bit about kind of the Fed's response to where we are now. So we've seen that we're in this deflationary yeah. environment, dollar strengthening, asset prices selling off. Um, you saw the emergency rate cuts to zero. Uh, and then you get, I, I have no clue what number we end up on the uh, quantitative easing yeah. side, but it's going to be in the trillions. Right. Uh, and it's going to be big, yeah. right? And so that may yeah, be 2 trillion it or it could be 10 trillion, who, who knows. Um, but yeah. Kind of what do you think about the response so far? Um, and then the the one yeah. question I keep asking people is like, do they have another option? It almost feels like they're doing exactly what they have to do to keep this going. Even yeah. if we all think that it's crazy yeah. that it's happening, it's almost like they have to do it, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, there, there's two parts to this. One... What are they supposed to do? And then what do they have to do? So there's a lot of people who come out and say the Fed should do nothing. They should let the markets run themselves. Yes, that is what they should do in a free market. And I would love it if that world existed. That world does not exist. Central bankers were created with the express purpose of what is going on exactly right now. They were created so that when we get into this environment, they can plug the hole with newly printed money. So to think that they're not going to do it is foolish. Of course, they're going to do it. It's just a matter of what are the, what are the knock on effects of them doing it? How successful are they? Are they successful the first time? Or do they have to take multiple programs to finally get it under control? I'm convinced that they will eventually get it under control and the dollar will go much lower. I'm also convinced they're going to fail before they get, before before they're successful. So that kind of that's kind of a long way of answering your question what do i think about it now i think they're doing what they have to do um in a crisis you know when the patient is hemorrhaging you just want to stop the bleeding right and then you can figure out the treatment and that's what central bankers they're just trying to stop the bleeding right now they're extending swap lines they're buying corporate bonds they're doing qe they're cutting rates to zero again all the countries are doing this this isn't just the fed They're all doing it. They're just trying to stabilize the system. And then they're gonna, and I think what'll happen, I think they will do something. It will arrest the rise of the dollar. Maybe the dollar will even fall for four, five, six months. But the, the issue is that you have to understand is, to your point that they're doing what they have to do. In the system that they have designed, you either print money to put more collateral in the system, off of which it can be loaned into existence, Or you do the or you just make the loans bigger, right? One of those that that's the way money is created. It's either physically printed or it's loaned into existence. Those are the two ways. We've reached the point where there's no more loans being created. So they're having to come in and plug that hole. I think the hole is dramatically bigger than anybody can conceptualize. So the fact that they're coming in and printing, I don't even know what they've done so far. It's like, you know, they're doing $125 billion a day in repo. They promised a trillion dollars of this, you know, up to $2 trillion of that. The, the Congress is going to authorize 2 or $3 trillion fiscal spending. And what's the dollar done? It's at its high of three years. It's barely even backed off, right? And that just shows me that the demand is so high. Can you imagine a year ago, if we just said they're going to do all this, the dollar would have fallen to 80 because nobody believed we could get into this kind of a dollar scramble, but you know what? We're here, and now that the the the, the fuse has been lit, I, I think this thing is going to accelerate higher. Now, it doesn't mean there's not going to be periods of time where they get it under control before another fire pops up or another bomb goes off. But the bat- now the battle has started. You know, the battle was simmering for a long time, but now the battle's on. Um, there's going to be times where one side wins and the other side wins, but I think before it's all said and done that this dollar squeeze is going to squeeze the dollar higher.
0: Yeah. One of the questions I get, so there's a lot of people listening who will agree with everything you just said, and then they'll say, great, I'm an individual. How do I play it? Right? What are my options? Not so much yeah. as like, what's the advice to go do, but just what are the options? And they'll yeah. say, should I just hold dollars in my bank account? Should I go and find currency yep. pairs and short, you know, something against the dollar? Like, w- what are you kind of tell folks is just the options on yeah. the table that they could look at uh, if
1: they're interested Sure. In Well, short answer is there's a few different things you can do. The correct answer it kind of depends on where you live and what your home currency is. You know, as a general rule, I would say it's kind of the same answer for everybody, but it's also a little different. Uh, I think the best place to be over the next two or three years is United States assets. Now, it doesn't mean there's not going to be pain along the way, but I think if I am sitting in Sydney, Australia. And I see what's happening to the Australian dollar. I know what the, the the Royal bank of Australia has said they're gonna do to the Australian dollar. And I know the growth prospects for Australia pale in comparison to, to those for the United States. I would rather buy Coca-Cola, let the Aussie dollar go down six or 7%, collect the 4% dividend from Coca-Cola. There I've got a 10% return. And if Coca-Cola happens to go up two or 3%, that's all the better, right? And even if it goes down ten percent, I'm still even. (laughs) So, um, so you know, I think the first thing you should do is if you're is hold dollars. Um, You know, most people in the United States we just hold dollars because it's our natural currency. But I think if you're overseas, and uh, especially if you have a business that has liabilities in dollars, you should definitely hold dollars versus your local currency. Um, That's the first thing. If you then have some excess savings, which you can deploy into U.S. dollar assets. Maybe you buy some big, you know, the, the Dow, or maybe even uh, some short-term treasuries. I think that would be a good idea. I think you should buy some gold. Um, I think you should have some Bitcoin. Um, If you can, again, there, there's kind of a progression, right? If you, if you have enough liquidity to do all this stuff, maybe you do all of it. Uh, But I think the first thing you do is, um, you know, you own uh, just, you you have your cash or your savings in us dollars. Um, You know, well we well, we we set up a fund specifically to play this. now, this fund is it's only geared towards high net worth individuals. You know, again, I would prefer it wasn't only for high net worth individuals, but this is, these are the regulatory requirements that are that have been put down on us. um so it, it is somewhat limited to to certain individuals. but um to anybody that would want to talk about that in more detail, I'm happy to talk to them about the opportunities we see. Uh, We see incredible opportunities. Uh, We're having a lot of success and we think we'll continue to have a lot of success in that strategy. Um, But I think in general, I think we're still in deflation. I think we're probably going to have deflation for a little while. Uh, On a global basis, I think we're going to continue to have deflation. But in the not too distant future, I think we're going to start to see some inflationary effects in the United States. Um, So, you know, I can't really give advice over the internet on what people should do individually. But uh, if you kind of think about those, if you kind of think about those dynamics, maybe it gives you an idea of how to position yourself.
0: Yeah, for sure. And then uh, last question for you before we get into uh, kind of the, these rapid yep. fires at the end. Um, what's your thoughts on Bitcoin specifically, uh, Bitcoin having coming up and kind of the macro backdrop? And, yeah. Any specific thoughts there, or just generally people should have it in that safe haven bucket?
1: Well, I, I think that. I think some people would consider Bitcoin not a safe haven. They would consider it a wild speculation. I think other people would say it's not a speculation. It's a great store of value. Um, regardless of whether it's a great store of value or pure speculation, typically, in either of those aspects, the, re- the risk return is pretty high. In other words, the asymmetry of the trade is pretty good. So you know, it would not shock me at all to see Bitcoin go to $2,000 and stay there for five years. It also wouldn't surprise me to wake up tomorrow and find out it's $50,000. It's <laughs> I think that's the kind of potential it has in both ways. Right. I think it's inc- I think it has incredible potential, but it's that. But because it has such high potential, whether you like it or not, whether you hate it or not, if the rest of the world decides that Bitcoin is the way to go just the same way that currently the world has decided that the dollar is the way to go, Bitcoin's going to go a lot higher. And, the, you know, so I, I think the asymmetry of it warrants having at least some exposure. Um, whether or not, and, and I, I'm to a certain extent, a Bitcoin maximalist. Um, I, I think there's actually a lot of problems with Bitcoin. I don't really have time to go into all of my reasons right now. But again, because I think others will view it as a relative safe haven. And, I, and because I, I think it's a great speculation, even if it's not a safe haven, I still think I still own some. I think everybody should own some. Um, I kind of a Bitcoin maximalist because I think it has enough of a first mover advantage that um, it would be very hard to supplant. Not impossible, but I think it would be very hard to supplant. The network effects are there. The branding is there. All, all of the the reasons, um, typical things that you see around a first mover advantage, Bitcoin, I think, has in spades. Um, so I, I kind of like it for that reason. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I'm kind of rambling there or not. I don't know if that answers your question. No, but uh, I I, 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 I do. Th- I, I, I think the thing that I like about Bitcoin, and it's not quite this way now as it was two or three years ago. I loved that it was just the wild, wild west. It's pure. It, it it's, it's, it's coming under more regulation, but for a while it was just pure wild, wild west capitalism, just raw. Mm-hmm. And some people liked that, and some people didn't. I found it fascinating. So and I still kind of find it fascinating. So if for no other reason, I'm going to continue to follow Bitcoin for that aspect.
0: Yeah, one of the things that's been very apparent, I think, over the last uh, kind of month or so in this liquidity crisis is uh, you know hours of operations, circuit breakers, all these things that are there to kind of temper uh, volatility in equities and, and other markets uh, doesn't exist in Bitcoin. And so you get the you know fifty yeah. percent drops, and then you turn around yeah. and it's back twenty yeah. percent, and you're just like Jesus, what right. is this? And you're like, hey, that's a free market, yeah. right? That's exactly what that is. That's a free yeah. market, and, yeah. and, and by price, the way, it's exactly price what they discovery they happening and, uh, yeah. in the rate.
1: right. Right. Exactly.
0: What, what is, um, what's the most important book you've ever read?
1: The Alchemist. Why? You know what? It's the, it's the simplest, but deepest book I've ever read. So, you know, the, it's nothing, there's no fancy words. There's no, there's no hard plot. There's no big mystery to it all. It's just a great story. And it's basically about, uh, you know, having the guts to go on an adventure and kind of follow your dreams. And I'm kind of a sucker for that kind of stuff.
0: Super simple explanation. And, uh, I don't think you're wrong on that one. Um, before uh, I let you ask me one question to finish up, I always ask everybody about aliens, uh, believer or non-believer.
1: Oh, believer. <laughs> What's the logic behind believing. <laughs> Math. Look up there at all those stars. There's no way. There's no way we're the only one. <laughs> so I started asking the question because that, uh, that, it's that's, a great that's, way to kind that, of think that's how that's The height think. of arrogance. Yeah. Well, that yeah. Well, thinking well, that here, we're the here, only here, one is, is it's the height of arrogance.
0: Yeah, I, I tend to agree. What uh, what one question do you have for me to finish this up?
1: You know, I want to know about you. Do you do you enjoy the battle or do you just do it because you have to? Because I know you're a big uh, you're a big believer in what you do and you you, you'll take on the little guys. You'll take on the big guys. And, you know, as an observer, I like it. I I kind (laughs) of feel like we're we're somewhat similar in that vein. But uh, I'm just curious whether it's done out of necessity or enjoyment.
0: Yeah. So um, it's a great question. I don't know if I have an exact answer as much as um, there's an element of uh, a lot of times I just get frustrated when people are blatantly saying things that are inaccurate, right? And just the need to want to correct them and say, hey, look, here's the the truth. Um, Along with that though, uh, I think one of the key components to being successful um, especially when you are uh, making a very large bet on something very early that has the kind of asymm- uh, asymmetry uh, that Bitcoin has, is you got to have really, really thick skin, and you got to not be scared to uh, kind of engage with people um, who have different views. And so, um, I-, I sometimes engage on a uh, on-, on a talk track of trying to convince them to kind of cross over or-, or see a different side. And sometimes I basically just you know engage because it's kind of like, a, hey, man. I really don't care what you think, right? And nobody else who yeah. thinks the same thing I think cares what you think. And somebody needs to tell you that. Yeah. And so um, it, it's yeah. pretty funny to, uh, to kind of get in these, uh, you know, especially on Twitter and stuff. And, and one of the things that uh, somebody said to yeah. me is Bitcoin's like the one asset where uh, none of us have any impact on it. So it's not like we can call up the CEO and ask them about their earnings report or, you know, right. we literally are just bystanders. Yep. But it continues to outperform yeah. most other assets over long periods of time. And I think that really, really irks, especially like the equity guys. Um, and so it's always fun to kind of, you know, give them a little bit of shit and say, hey, look, I could have just bought this asset and held it for five years and I would have beat your returns. Uh, and I didn't have to do anything. Yeah. Right. And, and obviously you can imagine yeah. how frustrating that is for them, but we'll see if that remains in the future. Right? It doesn't mean that that's going to happen in the next five or 10 years either.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Good, good. Well,
0: I, uh, I appreciate the battle. I can tell you <laughs> do too. Absolutely. Where, where, where can people find, uh, find you online, um, on Twitter and, uh, any websites yep. or emails?
1: Sure. Yeah. I have a website. It's really just my contact information, but you're welcome to, you know, go there and email me. It's a Brent at Santiago capital.com is my email Santiago.capital.com website. Uh, my Twitter address is at Santiago AU fund. Um, you can typically find me there. I I'm pretty active. And then I do a number of podcasts. I really appreciate you having me on It's fun to talk to you and happy to do it again.
0: Absolutely. Well, I appreciate it very much, Brent. We'll, uh, we'll get this out here quickly and I think people are really going to enjoy this one.
1: Okay. Awesome, man. Good to meet you. Hey everyone. Pop here.